How many of you brought your Bible? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I want to ask you to join me in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23 tonight, page number 797, the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. I'd like to read just one verse, and uh, then I'll just pick up on this and jump into our, our, our Word study uh, for this week. Jeremiah, chapter 23, page 797, if you have an old Schofield Bible. Don't forget our service Sunday. I really hope you'll pray about the services, and I know you will, but just really, well, this week, won't we turn it up a notch or two and just pray more about the services Sunday, and let's ask the Lord to give us a good day and bless us and help us. I know this is summertime. People go out of town. I get all that, but for those of us going to be in town, let's just uh, pray and ask God to help us Sunday. We need the Lord like never before, and I hope you'll pray. Pray for Sunday school. Pray for the buses. Pray for preaching. And I pray God will meet with us and just help us this coming Sunday. All right? Uh, Jeremiah chapter 23. If you're there, would you say amen? amen. Look this way, if you will, for just a minute. I heard about this man, and uh, this is an oldie but goldie. I heard about this man that had a cat. Boy, he loved his cat. I don't know. I mean, he had an unusual relationship with his cat. Well, he decided that he was going to go out of town, like take a vacation. and took one for years because of his cat. And so he asked his brother, if he would, to watch his cat while he was away. And he told his brother, he said, I love my cat. He said, but if you'll watch it, he said, I'll just call periodically to check up on old Tom, see how he's doing. So the old guy went out of town, went out of, vaca went out of town, went on his vacation. A day or so later, he picked up the phone and called his brother. And he said, well, I'm just call and check on old Tom. He said, how's he doing? He said, I hate to tell you this. He said, old Tom died. Tom's dead. He said, you've got to be kidding. My cat is dead, and you broke the news to me like that? And the man, his brother said, well, how else, could, how, how else could I have broken the news? He said, well, you should have done it just a little bit softer, man. You just didn't have to blurt it out all at one time. He said, you could have said this. He said, uh, uh, when I called and asked about old Tom, you could have said, Tom's on the roof. Call back tomorrow. And when I call back tomorrow, you could have said Tom fell off the roof. But don't worry, he's at the vet. Call back tomorrow. Then when I call back the next day, you could have said, boy, Tom's having to have multiple surgeries. It's not looking good. Call back tomorrow. And when I call back the next day, you could have said, old Tom died. He said, see how that sounds so much better? He said, yeah. He said, you're right. I, I get all that. He said, I'm sorry I broke it to you like that. And his brother said, well, by the way, while you're on the phone, said, how's Grandma? He said, she's on the roof. <laughs> Shut up. That's an old one. I know. When better jokes are written, better jokes will be told. I assure you that. Let's read tonight, Jeremiah chapter 23. I want to read just one verse, verse 29. And we're talking about, we've been talking about for weeks now. In fact, if I have this right, this is the 20th week that we've been talking about the Word of God. Maybe I should say the words of God. And you know, as you move through the Bible, and I'll read the verse in a minute, but as you move through the Bible, you'll find that God used a variety of analogies, similarities, to uh, teach us what the Word of God is like. If you look up on the screens, you know, the Bible tells us that the Word of God is like a lamp. And as a lamp takes care of my darkness, thy Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The Bible is like a lamp, takes care of my darkness. Number two, the Bible is like seed. 
that we're saved. First Peter chapter 1 says we're saved by the incorruptible seed, by the Word of God that liveth and abideth forever. Takes care of my barrenness. The Word of God is like water. The Bible talks about in Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of the water of the Word. Takes care of my thirstiness. The Bible said that uh, the water is like a sword. You know that verse, Hebrews 4, 12. Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Boy, it takes care of my weakness. The Bible said that the Word of God is like food. Desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. 1 Peter 2, 2. Takes care of my hungriness. The Bible said that the Word of God is like fire. Look at our text. Jeremiah 23, verse number 29. Is, my, is not my word like fire? And as fire, the word of God takes care of my coldness. But tonight, if you'll look here in verse number 29, he also says that the word of God is like a hammer. And as a hammer, it takes care of my hardness. You know, when you think about a hammer, there's two or three words that come to mind, and I don't even know if I have them all memorized. But I think about, number one, how that a hammer is used for destruction. You know, when you go in and you're going to renovate something, if you watch those programs on TV where they go and find an old house and they break it apart and put it back together again, you know, one of the first things they got to do is destroy it. So they usually get a hammer, a sledgehammer, whatever, and they'll just go in and start beating on the walls and carrying stuff out, throwing it away because a hammer's for destruction. You know, the hammer of God's Word will destroy anything in our life that hinders or harms our relationship with God. Thank God for the hammer of his word is for destruction, but then a hammer's for construction. We know that hammers are made to drive nails, to build walls, and, and to build houses, and things are constructed uh, by a hammer. The ha purpose of a hammer is not only to tear down something, but also to build up something. It's for construction. Boy, I tell you what, a hammer will. It, it will uh, provide construction. It'll build us up. It'll build our faith up. It'll, it'll cause us to walk with God. But then a hammer is for production. And as we let the hammer of God work on our life, I'll tell you what, it'll produce godliness and it'll produce gratefulness in our life. Can I tell you what a preacher is with a 1611 King James Bible? He's a demolition crew looking for a place to tear down. Because the Word of God is like a hammer. And we're talking about, look at verse 29, is not, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh a rock? In pieces, boy, before I got saved, my old heart, and by the way, it still pretty much is, but it's hard and cold and indifferent. Boy, I tell you what, the hammer of God's Word has worked on my heart, and it's breaking up the hard chunks of my heart. God's worked on my heart. God's worked on your heart. And the Bible said that the Word of God is like a hammer. Well, you'll know, you'll understand that right now, we've been in a series of sermons on Wednesday evenings for 20 weeks now that I've called Bible words that every child of God ought to know. And as the title suggests, it's just a, a series of messages based on some very prominent words that we find numerous times throughout the Bible that we as the people of God should be acquainted with and familiar with, especially as we live out these last days. 
And what we've been doing is we've been using our English alphabet, just going letter by letter. In there are 26 letters, I believe, in the English alphabet. We've just kind of been going by letter by letter. And we've been looking at great words in our Bible that begin with the letter, whatever the letter is for that week. Now, last week, our letter was the letter S, the 19th letter in our English alphabet. And boy, we talked about some good Bible words that begin with the letter S. For instance, we talk about the word Sabbath. Well, that's a good Bible word. And we talked a little bit about how God has set a day, a day for rest and a day for worship and a day from work for us to come aside and to worship the Lord. Now, the day has changed. We no longer worship on the Sabbath day. We worship on the first day of the week, the Lord's day. But the principle remains the same. We ought to set aside a day a week from work for worship. The word Sabbath. Then we looked at the word sovereign. Boy, we talked about what a powerful and sovereign God that you and I serve. A great Bible word, the word sovereign. We looked at the word stronghold. Oh, the, the word of God will tear down the strongholds that Satan builds in our life. And then we looked at the word servant. All good words in our Bible that begin with the letter S. Tonight we move to the 20th letter of our alphabet or the letter T. Now, to my surprise, we have only five books in our Bible that begin with the letter T. Last week, all the S books were in the Old Testament. This week, all the T books are in the New Testament. We have five books. We have First and Second Thessalonians. We have First and Second Timothy. And then over toward, as we move toward the end of the Bible, we have the book of Titus. Five books in our Bible that begin with the letter T. And then as far as people go... You know, there are some very prominent men in our Bible whose name begins with the letter T. There are 48 men that are mentioned in our Old Testament whose name begins with the letter T. I guess a couple of the more famous of those names, those people, would be, number one, a judge by the name of Tola. Tola, T-O-L-A. His name was Tola. He was a judge that, uh, that led the nation of Israel during the days of the judges. But there's also another man in our Old Testament whose name was Tobiah. Tobiah. Let me tell you a little bit about old, old Tobiah for just a minute because he's mentioned in the book of uh, Nehemiah and he was actually an enemy of Nehemiah. Isn't it a sight to know that Nehemiah, who come back from Persia, back to the land of Palestine, to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. Isn't it amazing there were actually some people that opposed that great work of God? And one of those men, his name was Tobiah. And here's what we told about this old rascal in uh, number, uh, Nehemiah 13, verse 7. I came to Jerusalem, this is Nehemiah talking, and I understood uh, of the evil that Eliashib, now Eliashib's the high priest for crying out loud, and he said, I understood the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah. And you got to understand the connection of the story is Eliashib's boy married Tobiah's daughter. I'm going to tell you, you get in a lot of trouble when you start getting all that family stuff. Eliashib done evil for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. Remember the word chamber is going to be important tonight. A chamber in the courts. And it grieved me. Nehemiah said, man, you talking about making me mad? Oh, it grieved me. Therefore I cast forth all of the household stuff. We know, we're from the south. We know what stuff is. Uh, of Tobiah, 
out of the chamber. So what Eliashib did as the high priest, he moved Tobiah into the chamber of the house of God. When Nehemiah found out about it, man, he is mad about it. He went in and got all of his furniture, all of his clothes, all of his stuff, and threw it out of there and gave the chamber a good cleaning there in the house of God goes on to say this, Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chambers, and thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God, and with the meat offering and the frankincense, Tobiah has to go. Tobiah is a stronghold, like a stronghold in our Bible. And the only way to get rid of a stronghold is you've got to go in there and you've got to kick him out. And when you kick him out, you've got to have a good cleaning in there to get rid of the stuff, the garbage of Tobiah. Two men, Tola and Tobiah. In the New Testament, we have a number of men whose name begins with a letter T. For instance, there's Theophilus. Theophilus. He was the one that uh, Dr. Luke wrote his gospel and the book of Acts to. And by the way, uh, Brother J.T. Lyons, the T was for Theophilus. Tell you something you didn't know there. Julius, or as Miss Janet called him, Julio Theophilus Lyons, better known to us as J.T. Amen. Theophilus. Then there's an old boy by the name of Trophimus. There's Thomas. We all know Thomas. Titus. Timothy. And then a man by the name of Tychius. As far as the women go that are found in the Bible, there are only nine women in our Bible whose name begins with the letter T. Three of those ladies are named Tamar. There are three ladies in our Bible all have the name of Tamar. Boy, I want to tell you something. Seem like every one of those Tamars in the Bible have a very sinful story that goes along with their life. In Genesis 38, we read about uh, Judah's daughter-in-law. Her name was Tamar. Oh, what an ugly, ugly chapter that is in God's Word. Genesis 38, the story of Tamar. And then a little bit later, we know that David had a daughter by the name of Tamar who was actually... Uh, raped by her own brother Amnon. Remember that story? Amnon had a friend, Jonadab, a very subtle man. And he convinced Amnon because he loved his own half-sister. By the way, how twisted is that? Who loves their sister? My daddy used to, when me and my sister was getting a fight, my daddy used to tell me all the time to go hug their, da- go hug their neck. I said, Daddy, can you not just beat me? I want to hug my sisters. Now I'd rather kiss a mule in the mouth. Something warped about hugging your sister's neck. But Amnon loved his own half-sister and raped her. Oh, what a terrible story that is. And then her brother, Tamar's brother, Absalom, had a daughter a couple of chapters over, and he loved his sister so much that he named her Tamar. Three ladies of the nine whose name is Tamar. We have only one lady in our New Testament whose name begins with the letter T, and her name was Tabitha over in Acts chapter number 9. As far as places go, we have some good places in our Bible that begin with the letter T. For instance, there's Tarshish. How many of y'all remember Tarshish? That's where Jonah rose up and fled to when God told him to go to Nineveh. He went to Tarshish. There was a city in our Bible by the name of Thessalonica. Paul started a good church in that city and then wrote two letters, two books of our Bible to the church at Thessalonica. Over in the book of the Revelation, we have a church by the name of Thyatira, a very worldly, very ungodly church. And then uh, I thought we had another church. There's another one over there as well. Uh, All of these begin with the letter T. You know, I found out as I went through the Bible that most of the words in our Bible that begin with the letter T are either names of places or people. But never fear. I found enough to piece together a message tonight. So let's look at some great words in our Bible 
that begin with the letter T. The first word I want to talk a little bit about is the word Trinity. The word Trinity. Now, i got to make a confession here to you. The word Trinity <coughs> is not found in the Bible. You can't read one time in the Bible the word Trinity. It's not in there. The word Trinity is not there nowhere. But by the way, the word Bible is not in the Bible. What about this, the word rapture? How many of y'all are looking forward to the rapture? Uh, the word rapture is not found in the Bible either. So even though the word may not be found there, the truth of the Trinity is found in the Bible. Now, what does the word Trinity mean? Well, it simply means this. Webster's Dictionary says the word Trinity means the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as three persons in one God. Trinity. Uh, we don't worship three gods. We worship one God manifested three ways. Now, we know that when God created us, that he created us like him. The Bible said that he created us in his own likeness. So in, 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 some, in some ways, you and I have some of the characteristics of God. Now, don't misunderstand me. We are not gods. We never will be gods. I'm glad to be a son of God, a child of God. I'll never be a god. There's only one God. But God created us when he created us, mankind. He created, created us with certain characteristics like him. For instance, if God is a trinity, and he is, did you know that God created us as a trinity? That's right. When you look at me tonight, literally, now I know this may hurt your eyes, but you're really looking at one person with three compartments. That's right. I have a body, I have a soul, and I have a spirit. Now, here's what the Bible said about that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy entirely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, there's the first one, and soul, there's the second one, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when God created me, since God is a trinity, God created me as a trinity. I have, there are three of me standing right here before you in one body tonight. I have a spirit. I know the world above me. I have a soul. I know the world within me. I have a body. I know the world around me. I've been created like God. God's a trinity. And when God created you and created me, he created us as trinity, as a trinity. God is manifested, one God manifested in three ways. Now, let me stop and say this. Don't ever get the idea that there's God the Father and he's all God. And then just a little bit less than God is God the Son. He's a little less than God. And then underneath that, there's God the Holy Ghost or God the Holy Spirit. And he's just a little bit less than Jesus. That's not how it works, friend. Not at all. Can I tell you this? Bless your heart. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are, number one, co-eternal, co-existent, and co-equal. Now, what do I mean by that? They're co-eternal. I can take you back to Genesis chapter 1, and God keeps talking about us. Let us do something. Let us do this. Let us. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. By the way, not Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. They're co-eternal. They always have been. And by the way, they're co-equal. They're all three God. Hey, I want to tell you something. The Holy Ghost is not more God than God is. The Holy Ghost is just as much God as God is. Jesus is just as much God as God or the Holy Ghost. They're all three co-equal. They're God. They coexist together. Let me prove something to you in the Bible. Now, I think we got this one down. I think we got this one down. God 
is fully God. Now, if you agree with that, say amen. God is fully God. So, I mean, we got it. We understand God is God. But now, bless your heart, let me tell you something. Jesus is God too. Jesus is God. John 1, verse number 1, in the beginning was the Word, Jesus. The Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And the Word, say it with me. Jesus is God, friend. Always has been, always will be. God's God. Jesus is God. Can I throw this out at you? There's another good verse in our Bible that talks about uh, God, Jesus being God. Look at this one, Acts 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, this is God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Jesus shed his blood and Jesus is God. That's what that verse teaches. The blood of Jesus was the blood of God because Jesus is God. Amen. Amen. God is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Ghost is God. Let me prove it to you. Look at this verse. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of land? Leave that up there for just a second. So this old boy went out and sold a parcel of land. He comes back and he makes out like he gives all the money. He didn't have to give any of the money. But he makes out like he gave all the money. And when he's, only, he's kept back part for himself, but he's putting on a show. And Peter said, you have lied to the Holy Ghost. You see that right there? But the very next verse says this. Whilst it remained, the money, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why then hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men. The Holy Ghost is God. We believe in one God manifest in three persons, co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. You say, preacher, explain it. I can't explain it. But as somebody has once said, if you try to explain it, you'll lose your mind. You try to explain it away, you'll lose your soul. All I know is what the Bible said, and here's what the Bible said in 1 John 5, 7. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word. Who's the Word? And the Holy Ghost. Now read this last phrase with me. And these three are I can't explain it. I have no idea. But I believe it. I don't understand. I don't understand that when, the day that Jesus was baptized, there's Jesus Lord down into the Jordan River. And about that time, heavens opened up and God said, Hey, that's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And about that time, here come the Holy Ghost in the form of a dove descended down and lighting upon Jesus. I can't explain how all that works, but I just know what the Bible said. And the Bible said they all three are one. I can illustrate it. I can't explain it. I am one person, but I am manifested three different ways in life. I've told you this before, but to my mom and my daddy, I was their son. I was their son. To my wife, I'm her husband. To my children, I'm a daddy. To my grandchildren, I'm a papa. To my chickens, I'm manifested five different ways, and I'm one person. If that's true of me, how much more can that be true of God, who is God? The word Trinity. Oh, thank God for the Trinity. We believe in the Trinity. Amen. There's a second word. I almost hate to put this one up but because I blew it. The second word is this. Forgot to take up the offering tonight. But the, 
It don't bother me, brother buddy. No, sir. The word tithe. Now, you've got to know that was going to make the T list, the word tithe. The word in some form or another is found 35 different times in the Bible, mostly in the Old Testament, and the word tenth, which is what the word tithe means, is found 68 times in the Bible. In the Old Testament, God required for his people to tithe. Whether that tithe be of grain or whether that tithe be of corn or of livestock, God required his people to pay a tenth, to tithe of corn, grain, livestock, and God had a place designated for them to come and bring their offering. That's the reason in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 11, the Bible said, Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offering, your sacrifices, your tithe, and the heave offering of your hand, and all your choice vows which you vow unto the Lord. So God said, Okay, I want you to tithe. I'm even going to get a place for you to bring your tithe two. Are you with me? And then God, over in the book of Malachi, we read that God, after the temple was built, God had a room built on the back of that temple that was called the chamber or the storehouse. That's the reason in 2 Chronicles chapter, 36, chapter 31 we read this, then Hezekiah commanded to prepare chambers in the house of the Lord and they prepared them. And verse number 12 goes on to say this, and brought in the offerings and the tithes and the dedicated things faithfully. So now I'm gathering. I'm starting to put some things together. God said, I want you to tithe. I'm going to pick out a place for you to bring it. Oh, by the way, I've even prepared some chambers to hold your tithe there at the temple. So it sounds like to me that God required his people to do it. Then he picked out a place for them to bring their, their tithe to. And then he goes on to say in Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, into the chamber, that there may be meat in mine house. So God designated the place for the tithe in the Old Testament to be brought. It was to be brought to his house. And then when we move over into the New Testament with that foundation that was laid in the Old Testament, we find in the New Testament that God still commands his people to give. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 7, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You know something that bothers me? You know, people say, well, tithing ain't in the New Testament. It is. But I'm not even going there. But what I, what I do want to say is, is this. I would hate to think that a Jew living under the law would give more to God than a child of God living under grace. Would you not hate to think that? I mean, the tithe is the foundation of our giving. A tenth uh, is the foundation of our giving. But we really haven't given anything to God. I mean, that's required. We really don't give anything to God until we go above and beyond our tithe. You ever seen some people, man, they got it counted down to the penny. I mean, on their tithing envelope, it's like $53.17. I mean, they've got their tithe, their tenth, counted down to the very penny. But I want to remind you, we haven't given God anything until we go beyond that. Whether it be a five or a ten or a twenty or a hundred or whatever. We haven't gone beyond tithing until we go. Uh, we haven't started giving to God until we go beyond tithing. And boy, I want to tell you something. God throws down the gauntlet. You say, I can't do it. There's just no way, preacher. Thank you for telling us about it. I hate I come. I should have known it's tea night. I should have stayed at home and drank tea. I knew it was coming. But God says this about this. 
Look at this verse. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, into the chambers where they were prepared. And by the way, can I tell you something? The church is the place that we pay our tithes. The name may have changed, but the place is still the same. Look, you can send your tithe to, to uh, Joel Osteen if you want to. But let me tell you something. When you go to the hospital, call Joel Osteen and see if he'll come hold your hand pray for you. He ain't coming. He ain't coming. You can send your tithe to, uh, to uh, what's some other preacher? What's those you watch on TV all the time? <laughs> Jimmy Swaggart. He said, send your tithe to Jimmy Swaggart, but call him when your, when your loved one dies. See if he'll come do the funeral. He won't. But Brother Tim will be there. I think you ought to pay where you eat. I mean, it'd be bad for me to go over here to McDonald's and get the number one extra value meal and supersize it and walk across the road to Hardy's and say, I come over here to pay for my extra value meal I got at McDonald's. You pay where you eat. And if you eat here, you pay here. And you say, well, I ain't eating here. Well, you need to go somewhere you can eat. But I'm just trying to say you pay where you eat. And then God throws the gauntlet down and says, okay. You don't think you can do it? He says, you prove me. You prove me. You prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. God said, put me to the test. Prove me. See if I won't do what I tell you, I will do. And let me just tell you this. A God who is so great and so mighty that he can take five fishes and a few crackers and feed 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. A God who can do that much with that little, that's the kind of God I want writing my checks out of my checkbook. And God obligates himself to you and to me when we obey him in the matter of tithing. There is the word tithe. You say, I can't do it. No, it's not that you can't do it, it's you won't do it. You can't never put God down on a sheet of paper and figure him out. You can't do it. You can't put all of your bills on a piece of paper and figure it out and then say, okay, here's my tithe, here's, here's how it's all going to lay out. You can't figure God out in an equation. You just have to trust God. And I promise you, as one who has been there before and probably some of these days may go back there again, you can trust God. He is trustworthy. Amen. Amen. I told you the story one time about Hilda May uh, when we lived down in Denton. And, you know, we, we lived in a rough place. I was pastoring that church over there, and the, the parsonage was in a trailer park. And don't be mad at me. I'm just telling you this is what happened. But the grand poopah of the, of the Ku Klux Klan lived next door to us in that trailer park. And the reason I know that is on Phil Donahue one time, they were talking about the Ku Klux Klan, and at the pro, as the program went off, they said, if you want more information about the Ku Klux Klan, they gave the address to write through. It was a trailer park right beside of our house. The Grand Poopah lived in that trailer park. And they were constantly, you can ask my wife, they were having, constantly having Ku Klux Klan's rallies right next door to where we lived at. It was nothing to come home and you'd go to bed at night and all of a sudden your room would just light up and they'd be down there burning a cross. I'm telling you, it was, it was bad. It was rough. And Hilda May lived in that trailer park. And Hilda May got to come out of their house riding to church with us. And Hilda May, was a, she was a healthy girl. 
And she come up there one night right before church. And I mean, we were poor as convicts. Honestly, God has, God's been so good to us, it's not even fathomable how good the Lord's been, how He's helped us. But I'll tell you why I think He did, because I stayed faithful in them lean years. God has blessed us. But anyway, she come up there and she said, Y'all got any Pepsi? And I said, Yeah, but just a little bit. She said, Well, I don't want a whole lot. <laughs> she drank the last Pepsi we had, and that was on Wednesday. I'd done already been the week before and got my check for that week. They used to hand me my check. The deacons did at the back door on Sunday. But I got to go, having to go to pay my bills. I'd have to go down there to Miss Virgie Yates' house two or three weeks in front of, in advance, and get checks for the next two or three weeks just to try to scrape by. I mean, it was tough, man. I never will forget, Hilda May drunk my last Pepsi. I had a $20 bill laying up on top of the refrigerator. $20 bill, and that was my tithe. And I laid it up on top of the refrigerator, and that was on like a Friday or a Saturday, and that was going to be my tithe for Sunday. And so uh, month, uh, Saturday, my wife said, we're out of diapers. She said, we're out of diapers. She said, the kids are out of Infamil. I was drinking out of Infamil, similar like one. So they ain't got no milk. And she said, I don't know what we're going to do. And the devil said, you got $20 on top of the refrigerator in yonder. And I tell you, boy, if there's ever been a time I was tempted to spend God's tithe, it was that time. I just, I thought, God, you understand. My kids got to have diapers. They got to have milk. And then I thought, you know, God said, test me, prove me. See if he won't do what he said he would do. So here's what happened. So, uh... I made up my mind. I was going to give it to the Lord. So Sunday morning, I thought, man, I'm going to give this. Somebody's going to come up to me and slap me on the back, stick a $100 bill in my hand. Went to church Sunday morning. Nothing happened. They didn't give me the time of day. Nothing. Went back Sunday night. I said, oh, man, God's going to take care of this need tonight. He's going to handle it. We went to church that Sunday night. Nothing. Not, not a zilch, zero. Nothing. We got home that night, and we were so depressed. I... I, I didn't know what we were going to do. But I gave that $20 that day. And about, we went to bed early. About 9.30, quarter to 10, the doorbell rang. And when we went to the doorbell, there were people standing there with grocery bags in their hands. And they said, we were sitting in church in Mount Airy at Little Mountain Baptist Church, and God told us to bring y'all some groceries down here. And I thought, you low-down devil, you're a liar. God will take care of his own. And I just want to tell you, man, God will do it. You can't figure it out on paper. But God will take care of you. The tithe. So there's the, uh, there's the trinity and the word tithe. What about this one? How could you do T words without talking about tribulation? The word is mentioned 26 times in the Bible. All but four of those times are in the New Testament. The word tribulation sometimes refers to the troubles that God's people go through. Jesus said in John 16, I think I put this in that last phrase, in this world uh, ye shall have tribulation. Going to have trouble. Be, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Sometimes the word tribulation refers to the troubles that God's people have to go through. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 4, who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God takes care of us. God comforts us in our time of trouble. But more often than not, the word tribulation is used in association with a great time of wrath. 
that is coming upon the earth after the rapture of the church, after the rapture of the church, after the rapture of the church, after the rapture of the church. And in case you didn't hear me, after the rapture of the church. There's a seven-year period of time also known as Daniel's 70th week. It's a time of great trouble and judgment as God pours out His wrath upon the, uh, upon the uh, whole earth. In Revelation, we read about seals, seven seals, seven vials, seven thunders, and seven bowls that are going to be poured out upon the earth. Here are some facts about the tribulation period. According to the book of the Revelation, one out of every two people are going to die during the time of the tribulation period. One-third of the entire earth is going to be burnt up, scorched with fire. Mountains and islands are going to move out of their places, Revelation 6.13. Uh, the, the oceans are going to be turned into blood, Revelation 8.8. 8. The waters of the earth are going to be poisoned and when men drink, they're going to die, Revelation 8.10. Demonic creatures are going to roam the earth like locusts in, in horses' bodies, Revelation 9. Uh, men will want to die, but they cannot die. They'll seek death, but they won't be able to die, Revelation 9.6. Great earthquakes are going to be common throughout the tribulation period, Revelation 6.12. And nobody who's rejected Jesus now will be able to be saved then in the tribulation period. Here are a few verses about that. Matthew 24, 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of time. No, nor ever shall be. What about this one? Revelation 7, 14. I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said, These are they which came out of great tribulation. It's going to be a time of wrath upon the earth. And finally, uh, I save this, this is my best one. Save this one for last. It's the word translation. The word translations. Only used four times in the Bible. Uh, all four times, it simply means to change or deliver. Well, look at this verse right here. And back in 2 Samuel, to translate the kingdom from the house of Saul to set up the throne of David. So we're going to change it from the hands of Saul to the hands of J to David. Then we read that when we get saved, God translates us. Look at this. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us Aren't you glad he got us out of the family of the devil, out of the kingdom of darkness, and translated, put us in the kingdom of his own dear son? But here's a great Bible word, translation. In Hebrews chapter 11, I hope this, yeah. By faith, Enoch was, what's the next word? That he should not see death and was not found because God had, for before his... Translate, it means to change. You look that word up in, our, in the Strong's Concordance, and that word translated in that verse three times is where we get our English word metamorphosis from. To change from one form to another. You know, a, 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 I guess if you think back to your seventh grade biology class, you think about a, a caterpillar. There he is. He's got 14,000 antennas on top of his head and 23,000 legs and, and hair all over him. And he spins his cocoon. He crawls in there. And several days later, he emerges, not in the body of a caterpillar, but in the body of a beautiful butterfly. Somebody said, where'd that butterfly come from? It was there all the time. It was just in the ugly body of the caterpillar. A change, a metamorphosis took place. Well, bless your heart, can I tell you that when Jesus comes again, 
a metamorphosis, a translation, a change is going to take place. I mean, number one, there's going to be a change in location. Amen. I mean, one moment you and I are going to be down here on this earth dwelling in the midst of demons and problems and troubles, and the next moment we're right there in the presence of God. A change of location. There's going to be a change in formation. Look at this good verse. Oh, what a good verse. Who shall change our vile body. Isn't that a sight? Our bodies are vile. Our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glory. In other words, I'm going to get a body just like Jesus has. I mean, he could walk through doors and they wouldn't even open. Walk through walls. I mean, man, he could be here one moment. The next moment he would poof. He was somewhere else. And I'm going to get a body like that one of these days. I'm going to walk up on people who are talking about me. And they ain't even going to see me there. And when they're talking, they're like, poof. I'm going to have a body, a change in formation, and then there's going to be a change in vocation. You know what? When Jesus comes, my vocation's going to change. You know what I'm going to do when I get to heaven? You know what we're going to do when we get to heaven? Somebody said, Preacher, what do people do in heaven? Well, they don't float around on marshmallows, eating cream cheese, plucking a heart. You know what people do in heaven? They serve God. They serve God. You say, I, you mean I'm going to go to heaven to serve God? Yeah, but you'll have a glorified body then. You talk about fun. It's going to be fun. Revelation 7, 15, Therefore they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Look at this verse. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. For the first time in our lives, we'll be able to serve God with a pure heart. We'll be able to serve God with pure motives. There's going to be a change. It's going, to be, it's going to be unbelievable. This world is going to say, what happened to those people? And our names, our faces are going to be on milk cartons and on the back of tractor and trailers. Have you seen this person? Jesus is going to come and he's going to say, beam me up, Scotty. And we're just going to disappear. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We got a translation coming some of these days. Maybe sooner than we all think. Praise the Lord. First great Bible word with a T is the word. Second word. Second word. Second word. Second word. Third word. Fourth word. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.